So a very warm welcome today um, for the 38th episode of our CMS Lawcast series. I'm Emma Frost and I'm joined today by my colleagues Victoria Lee and Claire Bradwell. And today we're going to be taking a look at some key themes from recent pensions ombudsman cases. So we're going to look at three areas, overpayments, awards for distress and inconvenience and transfers and scams. And Claire's going to kick us off by discussing the first of these topics, overpayments. Thank you very much, Emma. So as you may be aware, trustees have key duties and responsibilities. One of these duties is to administer the scheme in accordance with the trustee rules and relevant legislation. And this is to ensure that members and beneficiaries are paid the benefits to which they are entitled and generally so that any monies paid in error are recovered and no future overpayments are paid, even if the party responsible for the error has been careless. But whilst there are different ways to recover overpayments, trustees will not always seek to recover or even be successful in recovering an overpayment. This is usually the case where the member has a defence, such as the claim is out of time or they have a change of position defence. Because of reputational issues or the risk of future complaints, or the trustee is able to write off or augment an overpayment if they have the power to do so and the costs of recovery are higher. So, the first case we will consider is the case of Mr. D, which was in October 2020. Mr. D was resisting payment, meaning that the overpayment was disputed. The scheme could not exercise its right to charge or set off without an order from a competent court. And the ruling in this case said that the Office of the Pensions Ombudsman is a competent court for these purposes. Next, we will turn to the change of position defence. In this regard, we will look at two cases, the case of Mrs E in June 2021 and Mrs S in August 2021. So in the case of Mrs E, Mrs E received and irreversibly spent an overpayment of £7,800 on gifts and long-haul trips. The scheme administrator actually argued that the change of position defence did not work because Mrs E should have spotted this obvious error. However, the pensions ombudsman ruled that the test for good faith in a change of position defence is actually subjective and that you must always consider the member's personal level of pension sophistication. Then only a few months later, the Ombudsman considered the case of Mrs S. Mrs S actually received an overpayment for her widow's pension as she failed to inform the trustees that she was now cohabiting and that meant she was no longer eligible for the widow's pension. Once the trustees were aware, the scheme ceased payment and looked to offset that against other payments that owed to Mrs S. Now, the Ombudsman told us that whilst the burden is on the member to show that they act in good faith in accepting an overpayment, on the balance of probabilities, the Ombudsman ruled in this case that Mrs S was actually unaware that the pension should cease on cohabitation. So Mrs S had genuinely not known the rule and so the change of position defence applied. So what these two cases show us is that trustees must tread carefully. Remedies may be available to recover monies owed, but trustees must always consider the member's personal level of pension sophistication. 
I will now hand you over to Victoria, who will talk to you about awards for non-financial injustice. Thank you, Claire. So there are two types of awards for non-financial injustice. The first is inconvenience and the second distress. Inconvenience includes the time and effort that's been spent by an applicant relating to the maladministration and in pursuit of their complaint. Distress includes concern, anxiety, anger, disappointment and embarrassment caused by the maladministration. It can range from mild irritation to exceptional, exceptional anxiety requiring medical treatment. When considering whether to make an award for inconvenience or distress, trustees should refer to the Pension Ombudsman's fact sheet. This suggests what the Pension Ombudsman considers to be the appropriate award based on five categories. The first is nominal cases, and this is where the distress and inconvenience is minimal, so no award should be offered to the applicant. Significant. This is the starting point where some significant distress and inconvenience has been caused to the applicant over a short period of time. Here, the pension ombudsman would consider £500 an appropriate amount. For cases involving serious distress and inconvenience that has materially affected the applicant, the pension ombudsman would award £1,000. Where the maladministration is severe, i.e. numerous and repeated errors over a prolonged period, the pension ombudsman would award £2,000. And for exceptional cases, the pension ombudsman would award an amount higher than £2,000. So we will look at two cases to illustrate this. One where the pension ombudsman ordered that the level of compensation should be increased, and the other where, even though it had been recognised that distress and inconvenience was suffered, no award was made. So the first case is Mr R, and this was considered by the pension ombudsman in June 2021. Mr R had elected to take his full pension without any tax-free cash lump sum, which he understood would be increased annually by RPI. When the member queried why his pension hadn't increased, as promised, the administrator confirmed that it was an oversight and it was being corrected. He was then told that his pension would not increase at all and that the previous advice had been incorrect. Mr R made a complaint but found out later via a subject access request that the matter had been referred to the chairman of the trustees who had decided not to uphold his complaint. He was then offered £150 in full and final settlement of his complaint which he rejected. In recognition of the fact that Mr R had been further disadvantaged by not having taken the tax-free cash, the administrators looked at undoing the current pension, replacing it with tax-free cash and a reduced pension to put Mr R back in the position he would have been in had he understood how his benefits would be revalued. It took months to unwind Mr R's benefits, who asked that interest be paid on this sum. The adjudicator felt in this case it would be unreasonable to award Mr R interest or compensation for the additional tax paid as the overpayments had been offset against future quarterly pension instalments. Further, the administrators failed to inform Mr R about the IDRP process and together with the trustee took 10 months to respond to his complaint, which amounted to maladministration. Whilst both parties accepted the adjudicator's opinion, the administrators failed to pay the sum awarded to Mr R, which the adjudicator said displays a total disregard for both Mr R and my office, and will no doubt have added to the distress and inconvenience suffered. The adjudicator considered that an increased award was warranted, and this was upheld by the pension ombudsman. The second case is that of Mrs S, and again this was heard in June 2021. 
The trustee and the administrators had used in this case an incorrect normal retirement date to calculate the retirement benefits available, so no actuarial reduction should have been applied. The administrators also failed to provide Mrs S in a timely manner with a copy of the scheme rules and adequate information about ill health early retirement in order to allow her to make an informed decision. Mrs S's interpretations of the scheme rules disregarded the clear requirement for a written agreement between her and the principal employer to reduce her normal retirement date from her 62nd birthday to her 60th birthday. The normal retirement date given by the administrators was correct, so there was no maladministration. The administrators were required to provide Mrs S with a copy of the scheme rules within two months of the request being made, and its failure to do so constituted clear maladministration. Despite the adjudicator acknowledging that Mrs S had experienced distress and inconvenience, the degree of non-financial injustice she suffered was not sufficient to warrant the minimum payment. And this was upheld by the pension ombudsman, who considered the sincere apology Mrs S received to be sufficient. So in summary, trustees should always be mindful of the pension ombudsman's fact sheet when considering making awards for distress and inconvenience. And they should consider whether a genuine apology is enough in respect of a particular complaint. I will now hand you back to Emma, who's going to talk about transfers and pension scams. Thank you. So the pensions industry recognises the serious threat posed by pension scams. So this is where members are tempted into transferring their hard-earned pension benefits into a scam scheme, and they're promised a variety of things which may include unrealistic investment returns or early access to cash. And this is obviously a risk to members. And for those who have transferred into scam schemes, many have lost their pension benefits completely. It also poses a risk to trustees because former members often look to the original transferring scheme for redress and reinstatement when things go wrong and they've lost their pension savings. So even if there isn't a case against the trustees, they need to address the complaint properly and address it. And that incurs time and expense for the trustees of that particular scheme. So there have been various steps that have been taken over the years to highlight the risk to members and to enhance the due diligence taken in relation to the scheme that the member wants to transfer to. And this has been built on over a number of years and with various guidance papers issued by the regulator. And we've now got the Pension Schemes Act 2021 and the underlying regulations, which add additional requirements for statutory transfers to protect members. And that's for transfer requests that are made after after the 30th of November 2021. But we're still seeing a whole volume of historic transfer value complaints under the old statutory transfer regime coming through. And that's for transfers that happened a number of years ago. And one of the questions that's been tested over the past year or so is how fast did schemes need to adopt the regulator's guidance into their transfer out procedures? And there's a couple of cases that we're just going to take a quick look at. Um, so the case of Mr Z, this was in June 2020, and this was for a transfer that took place in 2013, so shortly after the regulator's Scorpion guidance was issued. And in that case, the Ombudsman considered that a period of three months from the date that guidance was released was a reasonable time frame for implementing the changes set out in that guidance. But then we've got the more recent case of Mr R, and that's from 2021. 
And this was, again, a transfer that occurred a few days after the regulator's Scorpion guidance was issued. But the Ombudsman adopted a different approach in this case. And the decision was that the processes should have been updated within a one month period rather than a three month period. And that that was a reasonable period of time for the administrators to have updated all of their processes for transfers. So the case suggests that the Ombudsman's expectation is that transfer procedures should be updated more swiftly following any revision of good practice guidance. So that's worth bearing in mind for any future revisions to guidance. And it's also worth taking that into account if you are assessing any former member complaints in relation to transfers that they've made in the past. Another area that's really important is the appropriate level of due diligence that's required when deciding whether or not to proceed with a transfer request. And we've got another two cases to highlight here. So the first is Mr S, um, and that was a transfer to a large, well-known and established scheme. And Mr S was already a member through his prior employment. And it was held here that the due diligence requirements were in excess of that recommended in the code of practice that was applicable at that time. And it was disproportionate to the risk presented. And if the administrators had taken a proportionate approach to this transfer request, it would have concluded that the risk of a scam was minimal and that the member wouldn't have lost out on investment growth as a result of the delay. And then there's the case of Mr Y, and this is where trustees declined to permit the transfer to a Jersey scheme, saying that they couldn't be satisfied that the receiving arrangement was a qualifying recognised overseas pension scheme. So what we call a QROPS. Um, and it was held that the trustees in that particular case had considered irrelevant factors and they'd asked excessive and erroneous questions when deciding whether or not to decline Mr Y's transfer request. And to top it off, they didn't explain the reason for their refusal in a clear and consistent manner. So the Ombudsman found in favour of the member. So it's clear that um, Trustees obviously have a duty to carry out appropriate due diligence when dealing with transfers and they need to communicate any concerns with the individual who has requested the transfer. But there's a balance to be struck between asking meaningful questions to help protect members' benefits in line with the applicable guidance at that time, but without overstepping the mark and causing delays to legitimate transfers. And we've got the new transfer regulations that are in force now, and that had introduced the concept of red and amber flags, and trustees must decide on the balance of probabilities whether there are any flags present, and if there are any red flags present, then the transfer shouldn't proceed. So in the Ombudsman's corporate plan, um, he does anticipate that there'll be an increased number of complaints related to wrongly blocked transfers. So we'll be keeping a close eye on the trends that are developing over time in relation to that particular theme. So that brings us to the end of our session. Um, thanks ever so much for joining us today. We hope it's been helpful. Um, I think it's clear that whilst cases will turn on the facts of a particular case, it is worth being aware of the trends of ombudsman cases when considering the approach to administering pension schemes and also in addressing complaints raised by members or former members. 
So um, we've got a regular update on recent ombudsman cases. So if you're not signed up and you'd like to be, then please do get in touch. Thanks very much.